Okay, now we're going to continue and then we'll get to the questions because I know y'all have a lot of questions and that may, I understand that. This is one of my favorite analogies. Um, I think this is a lot, uh, aha moment for some people who are um, caregiving or have, you know, the students always say, oh my gosh, I had no idea. So if you have a bookshelf full of books, and, and if you've ever, and I don't know if y'all have ever tried this, but as a kid, you know, you try to knock it to the side. When it's full of books, it's hard to have it wobble, correct? But once it starts wobbling, the top books come out, right? All the physics majors and everything. Book, the top books are gonna fall out. So what I want you to think of is the healthy bookshelf is full of books. Somebody who has dementia, it's knocked, and so the top books fall out first. These top books are what you had for breakfast this morning, what you did last night, who you talked to yesterday, recent events, okay? Also, it's the memories, facts, think of all the rational thinking, the math skills, the critical thinking, those are all up there too. As you go down the shelves, you can look at those as maybe decades, okay? So when you're talking to somebody with dementia and they mention Bessie and you're thinking, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, it can tell you where they are in their, their dementia also because maybe Bessie was my mother-in-law's cow is the reason I always use Bessie. But that's when she was a kid and she, had, she lived with Alzheimer's type. So they're going backwards, right? So all the, every time it gets hit, more and more books are coming out, okay? So not only what they did yesterday, but they may be back 40 years from now. And if anybody's ever experienced going into a room, and so if I have dementia, I might think my son is my husband. Because of my brain and it's, and it's dying, my brain is dying, that it's going to that, you know, it's backing up. So I think a lot of people, you know, go, oh my gosh, she thought I was so-and-so. Well, yeah, it makes sense if you know where their, their history, right? So the key here, the most important part is the bottom books are the last to go. And that's emotions, that's love, touch. All the things, you know, you'll hear people say, I'm not going to go visit so-and-so because she doesn't even know I'm there. Wrong. The instinct is the last to go. Those are emotions. Can they articulate it? Maybe not. Okay? So this is what, you know, with my students, I say, tell them all the time to talk. Because remember, the hearing's still there, right? They may not be able to articulate back to you, who you are. You know, my, my husband did not like to go visit his mother because he said what I just said, you know, she's not going to be there. She's not remembering. It's just a shell, all those things. And her eyes, I'm verbal, and her eyes followed him to the place. That's her son. Could she articulate it? No, but she knows what it feels like. She knows that's joy, that's warmth, that's safe. That's my son, okay? So the reason I tell you this is, Say you go and you have dinner with somebody, so you know, and they, you get in an argument. They have dementia, and you get in an argument, and you think, when I come back next week, they're not going to remember. You walk in, and they're still mad at you. <laughs> they may not be able to tell you why they're mad at you, when you were last there, but they're mad at you. And then on the flip side is, I'm going to take my mom to lunch. 
And people will say, why? She has dementia. It's not, you know, all those things. My mom's not going to remember tomorrow that I took her to lunch today, but guess what? She knows how it feels. She has the joy, the love, and she knew she was safe with me. So that's, it's, that's my favorite, because I think so many times we say, oh, they're an empty shell. They're not my mom anymore. They are. It's just the dementia in the brain, and they can't help that, okay? So that's my, that's my favorite analogy. But anyway, what's this going on? Um, so it's not about memory problems. We touched on a lot of different red flags, correct? We know it can affect all the things that you speak, that you write, that you read. Um, you listen to Jim, listen to about planning, you know, with his job. It affects vision. We talked about the, the narrow vision. Coordination, falls. You heard Jim talk about falls. I've told you about falls. Judgment and language. So it's not about memory. So when people have, you know, Jim, Jim's a great example. He opens with my students talking about, so what do you think dementia looks like? And they're, you know, they're talking to Jim like, well, we know. And he'll say, I have dementia. They think, oh. <laughs> so my point is, um, it is way, I mean, people, students all the time will say he doesn't act like it. He doesn't talk like it. You wouldn't know he had it. And they've soon discovered that a lot of people with can interact with online and have no idea that they have dementia. So it, de it is not memory, okay? Next. Um, so if you look at this iceberg, so what we tend to see, right, is memory loss. That's all we're ever looking for. You know, so-and-so has Alzheimer's, she has a memory issue. Look what's going on underneath. And y'all talked a little bit about the, the guilt and the shame. Well, yeah, and that leads to depression, moods changes, there's a lot going on with that brain before you even see memory problems. In fact, it's about 10 years. Your brain is going through about uh, changes a long time before we actually see you getting lost in Tom Thumb. And that's where we're trying to do with research is identify it way back here before all those changes occur. I don't know how far we're getting on that, but that's okay. Hallucinations, a lot of people have hallucinations. One of, um, Louis body, people who have Louis body tend to have more hallucinations. And y'all, that can be all five senses. You can have it taste. In fact, that's what he first noticed first was taste. Things didn't taste the same. But they, so your hallucinations are big. Uh, sleep um, is a huge one, and, and that's probably another one as far as preventing, we have to sleep. But sleep is a big one if you had REM issues, and that was another thing, you can't sleep. Misplacing thing, judgment, weight loss, goes back to maybe they don't remember to eat, or you know, a lot of things go hand in hand. So we just, I just want you all to, to remember that. Next. So it's possible to have a good quality of life. My students can tell you this, they are all assigned a person with dementia, and they have online visits. And none of them wanna let that visit end. So they're all still visiting. So I have new students and I'm thinking, wait, nobody wants to budge. In fact, I have, a, there's a student in the back where I don't know where Grace is and she actually has, there she is in the back. She's a member of your church. She um, goes to TW and she did a lot of online visits and she's coordinating a study with it. But every student will tell you their time with that person was more rewarding to them. They saw them as a mentor because that person was knowledgeable and interacting, and so it was a win-win situation. Um, 
Many continue to drive as Jim, even though he's offered to give you his license plate number and car make when we're done. Um, at loving relationships. You know, if we quit focusing on so-and-so can't do that anymore, let's look at what they can do. Jim's a great example. He skydives because what did you have to give up? Scuba diving. Scuba diving. Yeah, haven't done either of those, but he's trying to get us, you know, my family. In tandem, okay. So we really have to change. So just because that person is no longer capable, we have to focus on their strengths. We have to let go the fact that, you know, he was a CPA and he should be able to balance that checkbook. Let it go. Because guess what? He can do something different. And even better is they tend to develop other fun things that they haven't done throughout their life, okay? Um, it does make it harder to do things, uh, the right support, and that's where, again, we come in as a community so we can help uh, people feel welcomed and comfortable in our, in our environments. Um, we know that there's more, we've just discussed this, but uh, patience, kindness, and giving support. Um, person's history kind of goes back to that bookshelf. When you are interacting with somebody and they're talking about something you may not understand, your go-to phrase is always, tell me about it. Tell me about Bessie. Because that gives you the information of really kind of what they're going at. Instead of you saying, Bessie's your cow, she's dead, you know, all that, they're going to mirror that. Okay, so we need to really kind of be, pay attention to whatever they're talking about as much as we'd like to go there. Not making sense. I don't even know what they're talking about. Ask them. Okay, we just ask them. It, it, my, the phrase is, tell me about. Um, yet we know that they're a per person first. We established that right off the bat. Okay, so this next um, piece, this is a little interactive game, but I think I'll just, um, we'll do it as a group. Unless somebody wants to volunteer to tell me how they brush their teeth. Okay, now we've got a volunteer. <laughs> um, okay, so you think of everyday tasks. And usually we divide up in groups and this is not gonna, we're just gonna do a big group. So what are the first five steps to brushing your teeth? Now we're gonna start with step one. Get the toothbrush. What? Have teeth is actually the first one. That's good. That's actually an asterisk, right? A. Okay, so we have our teeth. Decide to brush your teeth. Okay, so decide to brush your teeth. Get your toothbrush. What else? Get your toothpaste. What's first? Oh, that could probably be debated. That might be an end for some. I don't know. Okay, so we're going to floss. Do y'all need water? And we open the cap. Really, you're going to spread the paste on the brush. And then wet the brush. What? Okay, so you see, y'all did very well, that your brain can put a whole bunch of steps together, right? Because y'all all know, I'm assuming y'all all know where your toothbrush is. Because nobody said go to the, the bathroom or the kitchen wherever you brush your teeth. We all, I'm going to assume we all turn on the water at some point. And I'm going to assume that we know how much toothpaste, right? And I'm going to assume you know to put the cap back on and where you're going to put it and all that good stuff. So your brain 
knows a lot of steps. Okay, so let's flip the slide. So typically it would take y'all, y'all, the rate y'all were going, I would say y'all could brush your teeth in maybe eight steps because there are so many that y'all skipped. So imagine if you had dementia and say step three and step five were missing, you might not get your teeth brushed. So when you send somebody in to go brush their teeth and you don't know what their strengths or weaknesses are, you might come back and their hair may be brushed, right? And then who gets mad? We get mad, right? So we need to remember that our brain, our healthy brain knows a lot of steps. We can just do it intuitively, correct? Not so much when parts of the brain are affected by dementia, okay? Um, so now that you know how to brush your teeth, and you're, let's say you're caring for somebody with dementia, what are ways you could help them complete a task, whether it's this task or making coffee or whatever? What do you need to do? Go with them. Go over the rules. I like that, the rules. <laughs> I like that. Um, yes, go with them. Help them out. I don't know if anybody's ever done a simulation um, on dementia. So many people say, well, if you just help me, come along, show me, tell me, maybe write it down. I mean, there's different stages, remember, because everybody is very different. So um, we know how to support them. We're going to go to the next slide. Um, we know they're unique. One thing I always find very fascinating is you might notice that they can revert back to their birth language. So, because remember the bookshelf, we're going backwards. So people who maybe spoke a different language as a child or early teen, it, that will come back out. So for example, we were taking care of a, a lady. Um, she was a Hispanic lady and we had a, a stuffed seal, long story. But she was petting the seal. She only spoke English to us and the student, but when she pet the seal, she spoke Spanish. That was the first time we'd ever hear, heard her speak Spanish. But too, that was so comforting to her, she kind of reverted back. Um, losing train of thought, Jim went through some of these too. Inventing new words, and then sometimes there's sounds. When they become nonverbal, as it progresses, um, and that's hard, but you have to sit and listen to kind of figure out, because guess what they notice more than anything? Nonverbal. They watch your body language. If you're irritated, that's all they can see. If you're frustrated and it's in your face or you're in a hurry, they see that. Okay, so nonverbal is very, very big. So communication tips. I think the first one's obvious. You do need to kind of keep your feelings in check. If you're already frustrated over something that's happened over here, you need to kind of check yourself before you try to interact. Um, avoid criticizing and correcting. Very difficult, right, for us to do as a people, <laughs> right? Um, avoid arguing. You're not going to win, ever, okay? Um, sometimes you can guess, you know, when they're struggling trying to find that word. Some people are okay with you trying to throw in a word. Some are not. Again, you're going to look at the personality and that person. Uh, Nonverbal communication, that's, you know, come here or however you want to, you know, the doors back there. Those kind of cues will be helpful. And I think it's on the next slide. So these are the communication tips. You have to be simple, direct, and you need to kind of point if you have a visual cue, okay? 
But the hardest thing for all of us is avoiding the word or phrase, do you remember? Because if they remembered, so here's an example. Have you seen um, John? I haven't seen him today. I think he's out playing golf. You're, we don't know who John is. You're going to find out who John is. John may be their husband who has passed. There is no need to correct them. Not one need. You're going to meet them where they are. So it's the tell me about John or yes, he's, you know, you, you, talk, you know who John is at this point. When somebody, if you tell them he is dead, what happens? It's the same feeling they had when he passed. So you're just throwing it back again. And guess what? They're going to ask you again. So you are going to meet them where they are. If we are in South Africa playing golf, yes, we are. Okay? There is no need for you to reorient them. Okay? So we're meeting. Because remember the bookshelf. We're going to meet them on that bookshelf wherever they are. Okay? That's huge. And it is really hard to, to remove that phrase. It's hard to not read because I have to live in that house with that person. I've got to live in this world. I can't live in that world. If I was coming in as an outside person, I could do that. But I cannot do that and live in that world. This is care, care, caregiver. And it, that's the pain. That, yes. And it's, it's, and when you do that, it's just more conflict for you, probably, right? Because you're living in two different realities. I can't do it. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, that's the truth. No, I, and it kind of goes back to the people. We're all so different, and what really can work for us may not really work for somebody else, because like you're saying, you can't do it. I mean, that's end of story. Why, in part, I said, well, it's not... This is not an easy journey for a person living with dementia. All the research and literature speaks to the fact that it is much harder for the caregiver. Because partly they're living in both worlds, they're watching someone that they love change. And so it is much, I mean, it, it's documented. And, and yeah, relationships. I believe that strongly. Mm hmm. The other thing that kind of goes with what she's saying is the longer you're around them, you get to feeling like you're as goofy as they are. Yes. Heard that many times. Yes. Well, and I will tell you what I should be telling you. I should tell you that. What I should tell you is, gosh, you need to take care of yourself. Right? Have I said that to every, I mean, every, caregivers, you know, self-care, self-care, which y'all will all say to me, are you crazy? There's no time for self-care, Right? And that goes back to they want you, you have to take time for yourself. But you know what? Easy, way easier said than done. And not everybody wants to because that is their person. And to, you know, go, quote, take care of myself doesn't necessarily mean you're putting yourself first, though. You need to remember, do you have to, you have to have outlets. You have to have support. There's no way you can do this on your own. No way. And all these people right here, this is where we need to come in to help you. Whether it's taking, you know, giving you a break. You go, go to lunch and I'll come in and, and hang out. But that's where we, as a community, because it's going to be too hard to do it alone. There's just no way. And y'all are feeling, I know I'm preaching to the choir. Yes? Just a 
something that helps me sometimes is to self-monitor what I'm saying to myself. Mm. We talked about being positive instead of negative and that a way to get there. Sometimes when I say I can't, I have to take a deep breath and instead say, this is really difficult for me and I haven't been able to do it yet. Very good. Thank you for sharing. That can open me to thinking, okay, maybe there's a technique I haven't discovered. Maybe there's a strategy that hasn't occurred to me. Or to tie in with what you were just saying, maybe there's a person who can come in and give me a break so I can take a deep breath and get back to this is hard, but I'm going to try. I like that. This is hard, but I'm going to try. And you know, um, I still think... This, where a lot of people find support, whether it's a support group in itself, you know, in, we did a, uh, we interviewed a lot of people who had who were care partners and people with dementia, and care partners, y'all are the experts. Just as much, the person with dementia is an expert with themselves, but caregivers are the experts in care, and it's interesting because y'all become the experts and y'all share it within your support communities. You know, like you were saying, this didn't work this time, but gosh, listen, so-and-so tries this. And so there was just a whole little community in these support groups where they could help each other because y'all, they're the experts. Um, Jim is the expert, that's why he's gonna help me teach this semester because he's an expert. He and Nancy are living it where I can just stand on the outside and go, well, this is what literature says. Well, you gotta live it. And it's a lived experience that, that uh, but I love that, you know, if this is hard, I gotta, I gotta try, try, yes. You can't be a caregiver effectively unless you pray that God gives you perseverance <coughs> and endurance. I will, 100%. You can't do it without them. And you know, it's interesting you say that students pick up on, and I did not handpick people with dementia who come to speak to my students, first of all. Um, every one of them. Everyone, and there's seven that has talked about their, their walk with Christ. And students pick up on that. And that's their biggest aha moment at the end of the semester. So I love the testimonies are huge, but you're right. Can't do it without them. No way. Okay, so communication tips. Uh, we talked and argue. Yeah, we're not going to. They're right, by the way. We've talked about that. They're, yes, they're right. Okay. Another complaint people with dementia will, t will complain about, as I, sorry about that, is we ask a question and they're working through it, right? And fixing to spit it out and what do we do? We ask another question or try to clarify or maybe even get louder for all I know. Just as they're spitting it out, we're going, God, what took you so long? So. We're gonna time 20 seconds. Some people will tell you at least 40 seconds. But when you ask a question, Jim, are we ask, I'm asking? Okay, I'm asking a question and here's how long you wait, go. Twenty seconds. So how many of y'all are going crazy going, <laughs> oh, our silence is killing me. But we have to give them time to respond. 
and that, I, could, I was shocked to be real honest, and I don't know why, but that was their number one wish, is that we would slow down and listen. And the only way, so you have to sit on your hands, and 20 seconds is eternity. And then you talk about nursing students, they're over there going, peppering them with questions, right? They're so nervous, too. They're going, what do you, what's your day of birth? What do you do? They're going, so we need 20 seconds. Okay, so we're meeting them where they are. Because when someone living with dementia believes something to be true, it is. Okay? It is. Um, and that's really, and I know that's really hard for you, but even that's really hard to do. This is why we have to really understand what's going on with that brain. Okay? And it's progressive. We know that. And it's literally brain death. So we need to really kind of check ourselves and see what we can do. Go ahead. Um, we talked about nonverbal. Your goal is to, to say whatever it takes to help them feel safe and secure. It's not about us anymore. It's really about what makes them feel safe because they're, they're, what they want to feel is safe. They want to feel socially successful. They want to have a bit of control. They want to be treated with dig dignity and respect. Um, we can't control the memory loss, and that's our reaction to it, okay? And again, you know, Jim, Jim has mentioned people pull away, and that's something that we can all think about why, and I think a lot of it is we don't know, we don't want to say the wrong thing, we don't want to do the wrong thing, and hopefully this kind of helps you because the greatest thing is, especially early stages when they're aware, they'll talk to you about it, okay? So dementia does not rob someone of their dignity. It's our reaction to them who does. And so that's back to our five key, key points. One thing I want to touch on before we open for questions is COVID. And we talked about isolation and the impact, of course, it had on all of us. I, I'm not uh, negating that. But social isolation is really, really hard on all of us, but specifically for people with dementia. And that 18 months or however long, you know, our pandemic is, was, um, y'all, that, that has increased, I think 20% more people have died of dementia because of the pandemic, not, not the germ, but because of the pandemic, because we just shut everything down. They couldn't see anybody, touch anybody. Um, it'd be a big deal. And, and you know, obviously, if we had it to do over again, I don't have an answer either. But I think we have to recognize that what happened with this the COVID, we're going to see a higher number also because it's, it's important for us to interact. So we don't want people at home living with dementia. We want them in church. We want them everywhere. Okay. Thank you. Uh, do y'all have questions? Jim, do you want to come up here too? They may have questions for you. This really isn't a question, but it's a comment. My, my mother-in-law and all their fa our family members that lived long enough had dementia, or actually had Alzheimer's, and she was diagnosed. But the last year that she was alive, she and my dad were living in an assisted living facility. And they did, he moved in first, but anyway, it worked really well for her. And towards, oh, sometime in the last year, I stopped at the grocery store and picked up one of those bouquets of flowers and took them 
and you would have thought that, you know, that it was a million dollars or something. And she was able to remember that the next week when I did the same thing and tell other people, and it was like, where did this come from? You know, that she She was, remembered. She remembered. And I thought, I wish, I wish I'd start doing it sooner because it was a simple gesture, gesture on my part. And, and it I, made a world of difference. And it made a world of difference. And I don't know, it, you know, I'm not sure that works with it. It wouldn't work with everyone, but it was an opportunity. Right, and you have to seek those opportunities, and you have to, when we talk about knowing the history, this is going back to some of their hobbies as a, as a young adult, whether they were painting, and whether they were an artist or not, a lot of people pick up art, and of course, you all know music is great for uh, people with dementia. Yes, she was talking about, yes, can you all hear me back there? She was mentioning her uh, family members had um, Alzheimer's type dementia and they lived in an assisted living facility and one day she brought a bouquet she just happened to pick up a bouquet of flowers and a week later she remembered it and she was just saying just this small gesture made such a big impact and a week later she still remembered it how do you deal with the fear that a dementia patient has if you want to do the respite care or leave someone else with them. My girlfriend said she can't get away because he doesn't understand and he's terrified when somebody strange is there with him. Right, okay, could y'all hear that it's about respite? Okay, respite, how do you, when the person with dementia will not let, or when I say will not let, is, is very fear, fearful for that person to leave so the caregiver can get respite. That happens a lot. And my question would be back is, why do you think the person with dementia is fearful? He verbalizes it. Okay, he verbalizes it. What else? Right, it's a, it's a real fear because y'all, would it be a fear to you guys? Sure, we have to put ourselves in the shoe, our, their shoes too. So what we would have to do is really talk with him and he's verbal, you said, correct? That's a huge fear that the, your, your, and I'm sure they've been married forever, whatever, you know, that, that safety net wants our needs, but wants to go have a break from me. Abandonment, y'all, this, the, so behaviors, and I'm gonna use that as a behavior, meaning she, they just or do not want him, them to go, is an emotion. We hear all the time about behaviors, and I don't like that word, but I don't know a lack of a better term, but when people act out, whether it's, you know, not letting some, you know, not wanting somebody to go, gets angry, gets, uh, cries, wanders, I mean, you think of all the behaviors, gets aggressive, Y'all, that's, that's the emotion, that's for a need. They are lacking a need. And to me, and again, it could mean many things, right? We're all very different. But depending on him and his history and their history, he's scared to death. He doesn't want her to go. Does that make it any easier? No, so there's that communication that has to happen and she might just have to go. Another trick, I don't know if this will work, is not whoever's coming into the house let them come in and be friend first. Ease them into that instead of just saying, you know, I'm, you know, TCU nursing students come in to take care or be with you today while I go, I don't know, get a, take a break, whatever the reason is. Well, I don't even know, I know, <laughs> I love TCU students, but it's the, that's a real fear versus 
start slow and Mrs. Smith is coming over and she's a friend of ours and then that then it's not a big deal. Does that make and then again y'all this is hard work, right? I mean this is not so simple of gosh, we'll just, you know, throw anybody in our house to take care of them. It's it's a lot of we have to kind of weave through. We're starting to see the isolation and Jim or can y'all just give us some ideas on how to be encouraging to get what, what kind of example church? Withdrawing, so they've withdrawn. <laughs> the question was, how do you deal with someone who's living with dementia and they're starting to withdraw? And again, in part, what uh, Michelle said is, what is making you uncomfortable about? going to church and being with others. And I described my example, if I'm expected to interact with a large group of people, that's, I can't keep up. And so asking what makes you uncomfortable, what can I do to help you feel more comfortable, look at it from his or her perspective, and ask them, if, assuming they're silver, ask them, what can I do? And if they say, well, nothing, it's like, well, you know, you, I know in the past you enjoyed this, so is there something I can help you do so that you can feel comfortable? Because I think you know, that's just an idea. I'm sorry. Uh, do, they, do they do this with just church, or has, so has the person ever admit, not admitted, but to say, you know, I have dementia to a friend? Okay. There is still, um, she'll go to lunch with a friend. Okay. But it, it just seems like it's, so it may, may be that. And, and I don't, and you have to, when I mean, we talk about everybody's different personality wise, you know, I don't, you know, the introverted, there's a lot of things we have to look at, but I think you encourage, I tried to, I ran into this with my friend and the only thing I could think of to help was to find somebody else who's going through this also, and then you're not so alone. And, and that's not necessarily, again, we're gonna all try things and try something else and try something different, but I say you try different things all the time. It's whatever works. Um, and if it doesn't work, you just keep trying. But I do think some people find comfort knowing that, look, these three people are going through it and they're, they're okay and they understand what I'm going through. Okay, so what you were asking is you, you have parents that live away or in-laws that live away, haven't gone to the doctor, that they're what, scared, which who wouldn't be, right? They're scared reality that they're going to be diagnosed. So their coping mechanism is paranoid, you're stealing all my money. Because it's what? Loss of control. These things, that's what I... <sighs> There's something behind that. So when you hear that, there's a reason for it. He's trying to tell you something that he can't articulate, like I'm scared, or I've lost control, or whatever that is. And then with her, it's the same thing. You know, you, you think I'm crazy. That's a defense mechanism because there's no way I have dementia. There's just no way. And I know you think she's projecting back on you. So this is where you really have to get in. And, and I know y'all are tired of me saying, put yourself in their shoes and what would you feel like and what would your response be? And then what do you want to hear to, to validate that, 
you know, dad, you're, you're great. We, you know, this is what's going on or how can I help you? There's a need there that you have to find. And that's what's, again, it's a lot of work. You got to figure out really what he's saying is I'm scared. I'm guessing now, you know, you know him better than I do. And I would be scared. You guys would be scared. This is, these are normal feelings, but they can't articulate it. So it comes out something very different. The, the, the other thing to consider is, um, and this was, as I talked about in the beginning, things that I had done for years, even after I couldn't work, I would be so frustrated. And because uh, like, surely, I mean, a simple example, as a registered nurse, doing your pills for a day or for a week is a basic skill you learned your very first semester. I was messing mine up. And, and so I kept doing it, and Nancy would double-check them. But the way she approached it with me, because if she hadn't approached this way, I would have fought her, was she said, I watch you do this, and you seem to be really stressed. If you would like me to take it over, I will. But if you want to continue to do it, you can, and I'll just double-check it. Well, then it was okay for me to let go. So if... And I, there are times that I expressed emotion. So if, and again, I don't know your, your dad, but if he said, do you think I'm crazy? I'd say, no, I don't. What makes you think that I would, dad? So following back up, because he's scared. And so, and he's afraid that he is coming across as crazy. And so the only thing he knows to say is, do you think I'm crazy? He might not be doing it in a calm way, but um, but that's a way of expressing it. But asking her, what makes you think I would think you are crazy? That, if she, assuming she's still relatively verbal, then that gives her something to think about rather than it being you pushing it on her. The other thing, when you were talking about not withdrawing and stuff like that, I talked about the ping pongs balls in my in my head now initially crowds and restaurants and those kinds of things really didn't bother me as long as I was focused on who I was with whom I was interacting but increasingly that is more challenging um, I still can go to a, a restaurant and it'd be loud and it'd be okay but that noise in your head is only amplified and it makes you feel like okay I've got I feel like my neurons fire all the time anyway. And so now I've got external neurons firing at me as well. So part of it, as far as church may, is it, you know, is it noise that makes you uncomfortable? But, what is, but I, would, I would, again, assuming that uh, she is verbal, uh, putting it back on, help me understand why you would, I don't think that way, but help me why would you help me understand why you feel that way? Is there a vitamin or different vitamins or any kind of medicine that slows this down? Woo, that's a loaded question. Um, um, is there any medication, vitamins or something to help prevent it? Or is that what, stop it, slow it? Okay. Preventing is... Um, you know, there, you're going to come across a lot of things on the internet, and I just tell you to please be cautious because there is nothing scientifically 
found to, to as far as pre you know to prevent aside from what we talked about the eating the exercise now if you want to take a multivitamin or you're you fall in the cardiovascular and you take aspirin I mean there's those kind of things that may prevent a cardiovascular event which would lead to dementia but there's not unfortunately there's not a cure-all there's not a prevent-all pill at all now once you're diagnosed there are four now five medications not one of them cure it four of them have been you know it's been I think 10 15 years uh, since we actually you know we had the four and then we just got a new one recently they might and doctors will tell you might slow the course or decrease some of the behaviors but once they start on them there's nothing to compare and contrast right because now you're on it and if you go off of it there's that fear of well you know there's so doctors are starting people on it quickly and then it's you know it's hopefully to slow I think Jim's had great great um, results with it others not so much so it's really a catch-all some people you know how this goes with medicine. Some people swear by it, others don't. But all I can tell you is there's four medicines. The new one that was just released, y'all hear the the brand new, fifty six thousand dollars a year medication. Woo! <laughs> um, doctors are not they're hesitant to prescribe that. There are still more clinical trials. So the one thing the new medication did do was bring this back up in the media and hopefully you know things will be coming down I mean we think dementia is going to be multifaceted it's not going to be one thing that is the cause and y'all we I think we all can can do it. and I have to go to the lady in the pink because you've been patient <laughs> my mother has um, 11 sisters and brothers my family their children and some of their husbands both it's in that bloodline have gotten have been diagnosed with dementia and with Alzheimer's, and they're, they've died. A lot of them have died. I understood something I read, someone told me that you could go to the doctor and be tested to see if you have the gene. Is that correct? That is correct. Only. Oh, is it? Okay, sorry. Well, where's my microphone? She wants to know if there's a. Um, test to see she has a family history of Alzheimer's and she wants to know if she can go to the doctor and get a test for the gene the, yes but the one that's genetically tested to tell you that you were that you will have it or get it is only early onset Alzheimer's that's a specific gene so that's when you're 30 and 40 and people get Alzheimer's type it can run in families but it's not going to be a gene now there may be an APOE part of a dna that will tell you you are higher risk that's all we have right now now there's biomarkers and all these other things out there but all it can tell us is hmm you might be at higher risk family history especially with that line you might be at higher risk and you can get that test but you don't want the early onset they wouldn't do that for you but again the gene that you're speaking of is really early onset that's the only one that we can say you're going to get it the one you're talking about is a family history marker and yes um only thing it will tell you is you're a higher risk so it doesn't mean you're going to get it so this is where there's so many i think there's 26 biomarkers it's just really nothing definitive i feel like we there's a lot of stuff 
but nothing that we need. <laughs> the four drugs. We have Aricept, okay, uh, Galantamine, um, Namenda is one that's a different type, and then Razodyne. There's four. And then the new one is like A-D-U-H-E-L-M, so Adahelm, Aricept, A-R-I-C-E-P-T, Exelon, E-X-C-E-L-O-N, Razodyne, R-A-Z-A-D-Y-N-E, Namenda, and then the new one is A-D-U-H-E-L-M. Woohoo! Namenda, <laughs> N-A-M-E-N-D-A. -E I don't know which speaker I'm on, so I'm <laughs> Okay, thank you. Yes? How early should you see a neurologist if you see the symptoms starting, such as tasks that uh, they've done all their life and now they're having difficulty figuring out how to do it? Complicated things, but... Okay, her question was how early should you go see a, a, a physician or a neurologist when you're seeing signs ASAP? In fact, some people will recommend you do, testing our memory. I'm talking about on certain little tests to see as it progresses through the years, even starting at 40. But yeah, you want to get in because that doesn't mean they have dementia. There's a lot of things that can cause dementia-like you know, in medication interactions, thyroid, there's a lot of different things that are really easy to fix. So if you see something, one of the red flags, absolutely go get it checked out, you know, because chances are it may not be dementia. And you go right to a neurologist, and how do you find Well, there you go. Resources. <laughs> um, neuropsych tests are done from neurologists, and they... They're not easy to find, I would agree. You might want to start with your GP because if you have a relationship with your GP, they're going to help you navigate. And I think, I mean, more so, you have that history and they've probably seen some of it or you can confide in them. They can help you navigate to a neuropsych. They may be able to help you set that up. The neuropsych doctor is really going to do the test. I'm talking about the neuropsych test. That's half a day plus of, you know, you're being quizzed. How's that? You're being quizzed for a good six hours and they've shortened it to four. There you go. It's a deal. But, but a, a GP can help you navigate whether you need an MRI or a PET scan or, you know, help you I'm saying should. Hopefully you have a great GP or a doctor who will help you. They're all hard to find and resources are hard to find. And the weird thing is there's a ton of resources out there, but trying to navigate, I mean, I still, I mean, it's a mess. So, but yeah, I would act on that quickly. Sometimes it can be a sleep disorder. Sometimes it, it can be a sleep disorder, she says. So sometimes sleep apnea and REM disorders and stuff with sleep um, can lead you to be confused or foggy too. So you need to rule it out.
to be real honest, I'm not here to tell you everything you have is dementia, I promise. Go get it checked out. When we're talking to my mother, um, generally within just a few minutes, we'll hear the same story three or four times. And when we call back tomorrow, we'll hear that same story another couple or three times. So what would that indicate? Okay, he's talking about, he talks to his mother and she repeats the same story two or three times pretty within five or 10 minutes and then the next day it's the same. Um, I would, I'm guessing dementia right off the top of my head. How do you work with that is different. Um, sometimes, and y'all probably know, you get, they get stuck on a loop. And it could be, there could be a reason they're stuck on it, meaning it's just something they're really curious about or they saw something or, so they're gonna ask and ask. You have to, you wanna answer it or whatever, you know, let them tell you the story let me tell you the story again. One thing that really upsets them, if, if some, again some, if you've told them you've already told me that story, sometimes that hurts their feelings or whatever. Again, we're all different. That would have hurt my feelings. Like, ah, a lot of times they want to talk. But you can break it sometimes by steering them away to a different, I mean, you can try. Steering them away to a different conversation. Like, well, mom, you know, tell me what you did. I don't know, she watched the cowboy, I don't know, but steer her away from that um, if you can, and she may come back to it. I mean, they loop, and if you were there in person, a great thing is to get up and change scenery, because right here I'm stuck on this loop, and I'm gonna keep going and keep going no matter what you say, but if you go, hey, Michelle, let's go over here and get a cookie, guess what? That loop is gone, because I'm going to get a cookie. <laughs> My loop's always gone when I'm going to get a cookie. Uh, okay, she's asking about resources, a list of resources. Um, I can give you all the resources in the area. Is there anything specific? I mean, we can put together a list really quick and put it, give it out to you guys. Um, and we can, we can section it off, whether it's caregiver or support groups. Because pandemic is just now opening up, it's hard to find support groups and things that are face-to-face. -face. And, you know, I think those are always... Yeah, they are better. But yes, we will. We'll put, remind me, Jim. <laughs> yes. Medication, so could it be a medication for, for the mother? Yeah, I found that doctors don't always know the interaction, but I call my pharmacist. Yes. And find out if there's a problem. Okay, he's asking if her memory on the loop, you know, when she's repeating the same story, could it be medication? Absolutely, it could be medication. It could be an interaction. Again, blood work can also help with the thyroid and all the other things that might go wrong. Um, yeah, and when you go into the physician, chances are them saying she has dementia. I mean, it depends on your physician. But go ahead and get labs and sure. In medication interaction, Joe, he's right. Pharmacists are the best. We could continue with questions quite a while. One of the difficulties with questions is that we have such a large group that the people in the back are not able to participate in the questioning. And so uh, we appreciate uh, Dr. Kempsey and Jim and, and all who made this possible today. Let's give them a hand.